Well, I'm sure you were all excited by the Academy Awards, and neither was I. Who, oh who, you weren't asking yourself, is going to win this coveted piece of dross? Will it be Black Klansman, or Black Panther, or Black Piano Player, or Gay Singer, or Lesbian Queen, or Evil Republican, or Latina Maid, or maybe even The White People in Love? And I wonder how they chose those movies out of all the movies that were made last year. And how could you not lay aside the humdrum chores of your boring, ordinary life in order to tune in and watch all those beautiful, rhinestone-souled moral non-entities take time off from cheating on their spouses and abusing their personal assistants in order to come on stage in an orgy of self-congratulation and trash your values and insult your political choices? What, after all, could be more fun than being scolded for bitterly clinging to your patriotism and religion, when instead you could be as glamorous and beautiful as some coked-up fraud who can't understand why all the money and fame in the world has left her even more empty and miserable than she was when she slept with that toad of a producer to get her very first starring role? And wasn't it inspiring to see such idols of the silver screen as What's-His-Name and Somebody sporting colored ribbons representing their commitment to never again allowing MAGA-hat-wearing bigots like you just stand by and let powerful moguls rape starlets while everyone in Hollywood knew, or powerful directors like Roman Polanski rape little girls and then win Oscars anyway, or other powerful directors rape underage boys and then get nominated for Oscars? What kind of Trump-supporting louts were you to let that happen? And in the end, wasn't it great to see the award go to whatever movie it went to while I was playing Diablo 3 and not paying any attention? Because this was Hollywood's biggest night, and so they can stick it where the sun don't shine. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. Speaking of the Oscars, did anyone else besides me notice how every single movie nominated was about old stuff? Green Book, the winner, took place in 1962. Black Klansman, which Spike Lee thought should be the winner, for some reason, took place in the 1970s, Bohemian Rhapsody, also the 70s into the 80s, likewise Roma. Black Panther is based on a comic book from the 1960s. A Star is Born is a remake of a film from 1937. The favorite is about the 18th century, for crying out loud. Only Vice, a hate-filled left-wing fantasy that reveals what Republicans are really like in the minds of a socialist and nowhere else, deals with anything contemporary at all, though it is a biopic about a guy born in the 40s. But it's not just the sources of the film, it's the values and issues in the movies. Because movies are made by progressives, no conservatives allowed, and if there's one thing progressives are, it's regressive. Their socialism is a debunked relic of the 1930s, their intersectionalism extends the racist attitudes of the 1950s into the present, and their commitment to sexual license is a throwback to the 1920s, if not to downright primitive times. It's kind of ironic that the only people speaking seriously about the future are conservatives. But that's Hollywood, and that's America. And we'll talk more about that. But first, let us talk about calming comfort. These are these weighted blankets. They're specially weighted so that they feel. it feels like you're being embraced. It feels like an embrace. It's like a security blanket for adults. I, I've tried it. I, I keep it on my bed. I actually put it on to try it out so I could recommend it or not. And uh, I liked it so much, I actually have kept it on my bed because it really does help you sleep better. It makes you feel comfortable and just, I don't know, it, it just has a very funny effect on it. It's a, got exactly the right amount of weight to help 
relax your body and present it's designed to promote a sense of calmness and relaxation relaxation for a more restful sleep now obviously i don't sleep so i just feel comfortable as i'm lying awake uh calming comfort uh, weighted blanket comes with a 90-day anxiety-free stress-free best night sleep of your life guarantee from sharper image Right now, just for our listeners, you can go to calmingcomfortblanket.com. Use promo code Andrew at checkout to receive 15% off the displayed price. Again, that's calmingcomfortblanket.com, promo code Andrew. And because you can't put a price on a great night's sleep, go online now at calmingcomfortblanket.com and use promo code Andrew for your special discount today. So, you know, oh, oh by the way, before I, before I want to go on, I just want to uh, take care of one um, piece of business here. Last week, I was uh, quoting, I had a video of a commentator, a, um, uh, a commentator named Camille Foster, and he was talking about uh, the Jussie uh, Smollett incident, and he was talking about how the press had jumped the gun and how their value, they, they go with anything that fits in with their leftist values. And he made a comment that I quoted uh, that all Trump supporters are racist. He very, very graciously pointed out to me on Twitter that he was, in fact, being uh, sarcastic. And I went back and looked at it, and he was right. Kamele Foster was being sarcastic. So I hit him on that, which I should not have done. And I'm, I really regret it, because he was uh, everything else he was saying was incredibly intelligent. And that, obviously, when he said, oh, all Trump supporters are racist, he was kidding around. So just in case anybody remembers that I said that, it was a mistake. It was my mistake. Uh, okay, so I watched all the movies to get ready, because we're doing the... Uh, the Daily Wire backstage tonight, and we'll be talking about the Oscars and everything, and Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring and Ben Shapiro and uh, that other guy, uh, was, uh, wait a minute, uh, Knowles. Uh, and I will be there, and we'll be talking about the culture in Hollywood and all the embarrassing hilarity of leftist millionaires celebrating themselves and melting down over Donald Trump. And Daily Wire subscribers will get to ask questions, so make sure to go to dailywire.com and subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks for the year. So I watched all the movies except for Roma. Uh, Roma was so boring that I couldn't even get past the O in the title. I would say, I'll watch Roma, and then I was asleep. So I never watched Roma. But, you know, all these movies, they, they have a lot of talent. And in A Star is Born, one of the themes of A Star is Born is it's not enough to have talent. You have to have something to say. And none of the movies, none of the movies, with the exception of The Favorite, which I thought was a pretty decent film, none of them had anything to say that was new. I mean, Green Book, it's a very likable film. It's got two excellent performances in it. This guy, Ali, is a terrific actor, and of course, Viggo Mortensen is a terrific actor. None of this is a hit on the talent of these people. I mean, so many of these, you know, to make it in Hollywood, you have to be talented, not just talented, but also lucky. Uh, Green Book, and Green Book is a really, uh, you know, enjoyable, watchable little movie. It's not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination. But the message is basically that we should be nice to black people and gay people. I mean, is there anybody left? Is there anybody left really that needs to hear this message? I mean, it's, you know, it's touching, I guess, you know, but is there anybody left who really needs to hear in America who is going to hear the message, who needs to hear the message that we can all get along and we shouldn't be racist? I, I, you know, it's just kind of old. Black Klansman, you know, has, it's a cute, another cute little watchable film. I enjoyed it. It's not, it's not a bad film. All the actors are great. But in the end, he tells us that, oh, we're still in this problem. We're still this problem. We still have the problem of the 60s and 70s because Donald Trump is the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, come on. 
I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. I mean, we can't we can't accept that the Klan is basically gone, that the white supremacists are now way, way, way outsiders, that, you know, when they call a national meeting of white supremacists, 20 people show up. I mean, is that really, you know, it's, it's fine to tell old stories. I'm not saying we shouldn't tell old stories, but they're all old stories and all the values are old. You know, Black Panther, I've said this before, I just found that, I mean, black Americans have made stunning contributions to the culture of America. A part, you know, a huge chunk of American culture is about Europeans, European-based people coming to deal with African-based people as equals. That's part of the story of America. It's one of the beautiful things about America, you know, from our civil war to the civil rights movement. These are important movements in American society. And some of our greatest men, Martin Luther King, certainly one of our greatest men, uh, you know, have come out of that movement. But uh, just in terms of our culture, in terms of uh, humor and athletics and music, I mean, so many things that black people have contributed to. I found Black Panther just sad that basically it imagines that, you know, that Africa had European society and it got it because a big rock dropped out of space and gave them superpowers. I mean, that's, first of all, a misunderstanding of how culture is created, the many varieties of things that go into culture way, way, way beyond just race. I mean, you know, not. A, I don't even know if race plays a part. I guess it does. I mean, I guess it, it gives a flavor to things. But, you know, I mean, Africa, you know, had bad government governance. It had all kinds of things that kept them from using their natural resources. And, and maybe it's just the weather. We don't know what causes uh, culture to arise when it does. But black people have nothing to be ashamed of and they have nothing to say to themselves, oh, we should have had that culture. I mean, it's it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, um, Jews, you know, they always say, uh, uh, think Yiddish, but dress British. It's like, you don't have to dress British. You don't have to dress like anything. Just, you know, join, join the big parade of America, the multicolored parade of America, and have a good time. I just think that, you know, Black Panther, I found um, really, all of these pictures, I just found incredibly old-fashioned. That's why the last movie I really liked was Get Out, because I felt like, oh yeah, this is a guy who understands that blacks have moved beyond the segregation stage, move beyond the institutional racism stage, and now dealing with the same problems that everybody else has had, namely assimilation and what it costs. That's what Get Out is about. Get Out is about if you assimilate, they will steal your soul. And there's some truth to that. It's a fear. It's a horror movie, so it's all blown out of proportion. But it, but there's some truth to that. And at least it's dealing with something modern. It's dealing with something happening now. The left cannot let go of old things because they think that that's where their power comes from. And maybe they're right. Maybe the only power they have is defending old stuff. You know, there's this clip of uh, Joy Reid interviewing uh, Kamala Harris. And Joy Reid, uh, have I got that right? Is it Joy Reid? I think it is. Uh, and, and she says, yeah. And she says to her, you know, when, when black people take power, like Barack Obama, there's this great uh, pressure on them to take a policy of a high tide lifts all ships. I mean, this is kind of the conservative idea that if the economy is going well, everybody does well. Of course, I don't do as well as, you know, Bill Gates does, but I don't care. As long as I'm doing well, Bill Gates can have whatever he wants and whatever he gets for what he does. You know, it's, it's not fair necessarily, but I don't care. That's not my, my life is not built on envy. My life is built on gratitude. And so I'm gr grateful that I'm doing well. And I think that's the way people should be. And she says, but, but really, says Joy Reid, shouldn't, shouldn't we pay attention to race? Isn't race... And Kamala Harris basically says, if you elect me president, I will be a racist. Here's the cut, clip. Would it be difficult for you to advocate race-based policy, or would you feel that you'd have to do just rising tide? Look, 
Here's how I feel about this. And I want to talk about the issue of identity politics, Joy. Mm -hmm. I gave a speech about this at Netroots last year. Yep. So, and, so you know, this, this term identity politics, people will use that term. It's like people used to talk about the race card. Right. And they'll bring this term up when you talk about issues that are about race, about sexual orientation, about religion. Um, they'll bring it up when we're talking about civil rights issues as a way to marginalize the issue as a way to frankly try to silence you or shut you up. And we need to call that what it is, which is to try and, and divert away from a conversation that needs to happen in America. Yeah, it needs to, we've never had the conversation about race in America. I always love that. What, what that means, what that means is we haven't agreed with her. That's what that means. Whenever, whenever you hear leftists say we need to have a conversation about race, what they mean is you need to sit still while we pound you on the head and try to make you buy our identity politics. And this is a big Democrat, uh, you know, a big factor in their playbook is to say, well, you hear the right attacking us, calling us identity politics. That's that's the problem is that's what they're doing. And she will not let go of this idea that there's some special you know, magic in the government now that is uh, keeping black people back instead of dealing with the problems of of dysfunctional culture. And that's what Barack Obama is talking about. Now the left is attacking him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. We're also going to have Michael Knowles come on in a little while. And talk. I forced him to watch the Oscars just, just for my own personal glee. But he did watch it. He's going to talk about the Oscar program. And every time people see uh, Michael Knowles, they say, they say to me, you know, why didn't you use ZipRecruiter when you were hiring? Uh, you know, because, you know, we don't just let just hire some guy like Knowles because he walks in off the street and says, please, please hire me. No. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free, which is pretty inexpensive at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Daily Wire is all one word. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter. Don't let Knowles happen to you. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. He's not, he's not here yet, right? So I can keep doing this. Um, so Obama went to this uh, thing in Oakland. There's a thing called My Brother's Keeper which is about mentoring young black men that came along after uh, Trayvon Martin was killed by George Zimmerman. And Obama went in and he said to some young black men, he said, if you are really confident about your financial situation, you are probably not going to be wearing an eight pound chain around your neck because you know, if I've got a bank account, I don't have to show you how much I got. I feel good. So he's saying, make money. Don't brag about having money. Don't go around wearing your dollar bill gold chain. I mean, this is the Barack Obama after he doesn't have to defend his bad policies. I mean, really, I really believe what happened with Obama is that he, he didn't know what he didn't know. He had all these things that he had been taught, all these ideas that he thought were going to make the world a better place and the tide was going to recede and, you know, everything was going to go away. Instead, it was a mess. He couldn't get the economy going. 
even though the dead cat bounce alone from the crash in 2008 should have made it soar, it didn't soar until Trump took office because Obama didn't know what he was doing, because his policies were wrong. He, he blew up the Middle East. We were almost out of there, and he blew it up and let ISIS run wild, and everything was going wrong. So he reverted to the Democrat playbook. He reverted to the Democrat playbook of identity politics. Uh, you know, whenever, whenever there was some kind of trouble that involved the black guy hitting on the police, attacking the police, which really was sinful in that case. And now he's free of that, right? So he's free to just tell people what he really thinks. And he says to these kids, he says, you know, oftentimes racism historically in the society sends you a message that you are less than and weak. And we, meaning black men, feel that we have to compensate by exaggerating certain stereotypical ways that men are supposed to act. And that's a trap that we fall into that we have to pull out of. Now, you've heard me say the same thing, that racism, bigotry creates the effect that it, it it basically hates people into becoming the thing that they hate. So Jews in the Middle Ages were not allowed to do anything except loan money because usury was off uh, base to Christians. And so then you say, oh, well, the Jews have all the money. They're very good with money. You know, it's money. All they care about is money. You know, you create the person that you hate. You turn him. What, what is the line in, uh, in Merchant of Venice? He said, you call me a, a dog. Now beware my fangs. And that's, that's what happens. It transforms people. So the left goes after Obama. And where do we find the left? Of course, we find it at the New York Times, a former newspaper on Knucklehead Row. So we get uh, from Derecka Purnell, a Harvard-trained lawyer uh, and a black person, why does Obama scold black boys? The former president still can't see the beautiful and complex range of black culture. So some guy with his shirt open wearing gold chains about how rich he is, this is the beautiful, complex black culture, really. Uh, he, he says, his comments disappointed me because the comments I was just reading, his comments disappointed me because they're part of problematic, pr problematic practices like calling out black children for having ghetto names or wearing Air Jordans. Such remarks by Mr. Obama reflect his administration's failure and to an extent that of my brother's keeper to tackle the systemic inequality that shapes black people's lives in America. Why didn't you stick with the black racial uh, program and why did you just try and have there be a high tide that lifts all boats? Yet Michelle's husband, she goes on, as he introduced himself at the town hall, uses my brother's keeper to change life outcomes for boys of colors, but its solution to financial insecurity and the racist violence that led to Trayvon's murder, which is not literally not true, are the same. Community mentorship, that's their solution. This pales in comparison to reparations or any major social or legislative intervention that justice requires. Now, reparations, the idea that people who did nothing to you should pay you back for things that didn't happen to you, is, it's, it's like, you know, here in Los Angeles, we have the tar pits. They're tar pits and prehistoric beasts like mastodons fell into the tar pits, couldn't get out, were sucked down, and now they're fossils. That's what this is. Reparations, the idea of, of white privilege, which is simply the idea of envy. It's not about what, what I have, what's, what I should be grateful for. It's about what that guy has that he shouldn't have. You know, reparations is the idea that the past never goes away, that I have to be paid back for the past, even though it didn't happen to me, that I have to punish people who did that, even though the only relationship between them and the people who did it is the color of their skin, so it's racist. It's this old idea, and it's a tar pit. It is keeping people... Look, I, 
believe me, believe me, I am not preaching to black people on how to be black. I'm preaching to Americans on how to be American, you know, because that, that is the thing. The movie Get Out gets it right. It's that the time is, has come when you have to deal with the problems of assimilation, which all of us have to deal with. And there are true problems and there are true costs, but they do not want to let it go. They will not let it go. And I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about all of the left's grievances, all the things that they feel happened in the past. Instead of celebrating where they are now, they've got to hold on. They've got to hold on because it makes them important. It makes them, you know, revolutionaries and rebels and brave people. And they can especially be brave people. They can especially be brave people because there's no cost because the problem is gone. Nobody's going to set a dog on a person for saying black people should be treated fairly. Those, those days are done. Those days are done. And, you know, thank God. Thank God they're done. And so, like, you're, it's, it's heroism without price. It's unreal heroism. It's like the people, the right-wing people, who write to me and say, here's, here's my ideas. Could you say it uh, on, on your show? Because I don't want to pay the penalty. And I think, yeah, I don't want to pay the penalty either. But we pay penalties for saying things. I'm not getting dogs sent after me. You know, I mean, the penalties I pay are, are minor career things that I just have to deal with, which is fine. You know, but there is no telling the truth without the price and without paying a price. And there is no speaking up without paying a price. And the price for, for racism in this country has been paid. It's been paid by people who came before you. It's your turn to celebrate and contribute and assimilate insofar as you can. They're doing it to a Michelle Obama, too. It, same thing, knucklehead row. Why do black people still feel we have to retain white empathy at the expense of being truly empathetic to ourselves? It's not white empathy. It's joining in this, the society. And again, it's not just racism. It's socialism, too. You know, back in the 1930s, after the crash, socialism, I can understand how people got sucked into socialism. They were told, first of all, that the crash was caused by, uh, un, you know, unfettered capitalism. That wasn't true. It was caused by the government's poor uh, handling of the monetary system. That's what it was really caused by. It was not caused by just unfettered, you know, rich people. But that, it's easy to hate the rich when things go wrong. When, when you're poor, it's easy to hate the rich. But they cling to it. And these ideas... I, Bernie Sanders is like a throwback. The guy reminds me of some like 1930s radical. You know, in 1988, I mean, here's an amazing thing. In 1988, Bernie Sanders went to the USSR and came back to tell people, you know, how great it is. Okay? Now, just remember, think of that date for a minute. 1988. Here he is. I think it's also fair to point out that when we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful, uh, in, including many works of art, chandeliers that were beautiful. It was a very, very effective system. Also, I was impressed by the youth programs that they have, uh, their palaces of, of, of culture for, for the young people, a whole variety of, young, uh, of programs for young people, and cultural programs which go far beyond what we do in this country. Uh, we went to a, a, a theater in Yaroslavl, which was absolutely beautiful, had three separate stages where cultural programs are put on by professional actors and actresses, including a puppeteer uh, area. And the cost, the highest price of the ticket that you can get was the equivalent of $1.50. You know, this is 1988. This is three years before the Soviet Union collapses in poverty and disarray. Mike Durant tweeted that out. My pal Mike Durant from the think tank, uh, Hoover Institute, I think. 
Um, he tweeted out saying he was there in 1988 and the place was falling apart. But Sanders is clinging to this. You know, he talks about Cuba and how wonderful Castro is. Now it's the Cubans who are running Venezuela now. When you t look at what's happening in Venezuela, Maduro is the front man, but the thugs who are keeping him in power and the thugs who helped him get to power and secure power are all from Havana. They are all the Cubans. It's Castro, the Castro regime spreading the communism from Cuba. And you see what it's done. You see that the people are hungry. They're starving. They're rioting. Uh, Maduro is shooting at them. Bernie Sanders still, still cannot call this guy a tyrant. He still will not call him a tyrant. He still will not support the Juan Guaido, the uh, also leftist uh, opposition candidate who has the approval of the government who Trump is supporting. He's still back there. He's still in those 1930s. It doesn't matter. Russia fell. He came back and said, oh, the Soviet Union is great. Three years later, it collapsed. You know, when, when the Soviet Union collapsed, I thought, gee, Reagan was right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should change my mind. And I began to change my mind. Not Bernie, not Bernie, and not the left. And now they're sitting around, they're, they're cranking because Trump is calling them a con uh, socialist. And they say, oh, that's the old Republican thing. They're calling us socialists. Well, guess what? That's what they are. There was a wonderful uh, video of um, the Sunrise Movement, which is this radical environmental movement trying to intimidate politicians into accepting the Green New Deal, which is just socialism. It's government moving into corporations, telling us all how we have to live. And they went into Dianne Feinstein, who's what, like 80 at this point, who's <laughs> got enough trouble. They send in children, and the children demand the Green New Deal. And Dianne Feinstein told them to pack, pound sand. Listen. We're trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Oh, please. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and... All you know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. So that didn't work, even on Dianne Feinstein, a fairly left-wing uh, senator. So they sent in another kid. You give me a dollar to put in my bank. I'll give you a dollar to put in your bank if you'll sing me a song. Give me the dollar bank. Ah, uh, you're more than five. Go and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even sing for the buck. I mean, come on. So that didn't work. So finally, they sent in the most whiny, most ill-educated, most empty-headed child uh, they could find. This is cut number five. Our planet is going to make disaster if we don't turn the ship around. And so it's basically like there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should, is it okay to still have children? And I mean, not just financially, because people are graduating with 20, 30, $100,000 worth of student loan debt. And so they can't even afford to have kids in a house, but 
also just this basic moral question, like what do we do? And, and even if you don't have kids, there are still children here in the world and we have a moral obligation to them uh, to leave a better world for them. And this idea that if we just, you know, I've been working on this for X amount of years, um, it's like not good enough. You know, so you shouldn't have children, you know, and we really, if, if, if we're all going to die unless we, unless we go socialist. I mean, this is, it's an amazing, amazing thing that because she doesn't know anything, because she knows no history, because she knows no economics, because she knows nothing about American values or the Constitution, she is stuck. She is stuck back there with Bernie Sanders, her mentor and friend. She is stuck with him back in the 1930s. The only people talking about going forward are conservatives, not all of them, but some of them. And they're talking about it because they don't, they have better values. I mean, these are the values of envy, the values of like relying on others to change things. This is what always gets me about uh, things like reparations. It's like you're not supposed to take yourself in hand and do your best. You're supposed to wait for white people to help you. That's basically what they want. I mean, those are bad values. Materialism, measuring your life by how much money you've got. Those are bad values. And certainly racism, which is intersectional is just racism with a smiley face. Those are all bad values. I mean, those are things we've moved beyond, all of us except the left. And that's why all the movies are about old things, because they're stuck in that world where some of this stuff kind of made sense or seemed to make sense before it was all debunked. So, speaking of the movies, we're going to speak to Monsieur Michael Knowles. We now call him that because... I don't know, why do we call I just made that up, I'm sorry. Uh, but he'll be right with us, but we got to say goodbye to YouTube and Facebook Come to dailywire.com and subscribe, and then you can be with us backstage and ask questions as we talk about the culture and the Oscars. All right, we are back. Michael Knowles, good to see you. You cruel man. <laughs> you cruel even, man. Even I felt bad. Even I felt bad. I was, you know, I, I, I've been gotten addicted to this video game, Diablo 3, <laughs> which is great because I can play it with people. I, this is the first time I've ever played online. Really? I, yeah, I play with Spencer. I play with my kid and all this stuff. So, we, you know, it's, it's great. But I was playing it and I was thinking, Knowles is watching the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> You're there just eating pizza, yeah. playing your video like game. Scott's yeah, playing my video game. Yeah. <laughs> so how was it? Was it that bad? Uh, you know, I got to tell you something. Yeah. It was the most boring Oscars maybe of my lifetime. Really? Which is sort of a good thing. Yeah. Uh, no news is good news for the Oscars, <laughs> I guess. There was some rumor that they were going to have Whoopi Goldberg be a surprise host. She had already hosted. How exciting with that. Wh what Whoopi. It, Whoopi. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they were gonna. I think they were gonna dig up Bob Hope and try to have it. <laughs> so yeah, that was the rumor. You know, they didn't do it. Okay. There was no host. They had to, you know Tina Fey. And like all the other Tina Fey's yeah. came out and did some jokes at the top. And right. There really was no host. But they were all anti-Trump jokes. I, yeah, I, I mean, it was all typical leftist yeah. nonsense. But there just weren't that many big moments. Um, the the winner for best director was a bit of a surprise to those of us who were hoping that the Academy still had integrity. <laughs> it went to Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. For Roma. Which, which by yeah. the way, I'm so much of a masochist. I then watched Roma. Did you really? I did. I watched. I yeah. woke up very early this morning. I watched the whole movie. You're kidding me. I did. And that movie is about 18 hours long, so I actually woke <laughs> up last night. Uh, that movie, because yeah. I didn't want to be unfair to it. Yeah. It looked terrible. The reviews, that the reviewers that I trust said it was terrible. Yeah. It, it is, it, it's not just terrible. They say that nostalgia is history after a few drinks. Yeah. I cannot even imagine how many drinks Quaron had <laughs> to produce this self-indulgent, pretentious tripe. It was one of, it's in the top 
30 worst movies I've ever no, seen. Oh, no. Okay. You know, yes. I mean, yeah. my wife turned it off, and so you got to think, like, that's that's bad. You that's know? pretty it's bad. It's the only one of the movies I couldn't bring myself to watch. I just looked at it, and I thought, this lo-, even the trailer is boring me, you know? It's like... It, I mean, it is. it was just a play. It was a very yeah. cynical political play on intersectional politics to see how far not a movie could get in the Academy. <laughs> I mean, it's not a movie. Yeah. It's... Yeah. it's sort of a, a home movie with the pretensions of black and white. It's supposed to look like one of these epic movies of the 60s, like Fellini or something yeah. like that. It's about nothing. It's about some maid in Mexico. But, you know, it does It does have an effect that, you you know, there's still there's still some kind of prestige going on with an Oscar. Even even mm-hmm. like the old cranks on the right, you know, like me, who sit around and go, ah, the Oscars, <laughs> I don't care about the Oscars. Even they say, oh yeah, that film won an Oscar, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so if you, you know that if you make a film attacking Dick Cheney or attacking the left, telling us that Donald Trump is a Ku Klux Klansman, which is yeah. absurd, you know that you can get nominated. Well, this is the issue. And and really, funny, you mentioned yeah. the black Klansman. Yeah. The, the only semi-outrageous <laughs> moment of the night came when Spike Lee, an idiot, gave his acceptance speech <laughs> yeah. for, I think it was best adapted screenplay. Here's just right. a clip of it. Okay. The month February, which also happens to be the shortest month of the year which also happens to be Black History Month, the year 2019, the year 1619. History, her story, 1619, 2019, 400 years. 400 years, our ancestors were stolen from Mother Africa and brought to Jamestown, Virginia, enslaved. Our ancestors worked from the land from Kansas in the morning to Kansas at night. My grandmother, Zimmy Sheldon Retha, who lived to be 100 years young, who was a Spelman College graduate, even though her mother was a slave. My grandma, who saved 50 years of Social Security checks to put her first grandchild, she called me Spiky Poo. <laughs> she put me through Morehouse College and NYU grad film. <laughs> NYU. Before the world tonight, I give praise to our ancestors who helped build this country and was today along with the genocide of his native people. Huh? <laughs> what happened? I mean, t- talk about getting it, yeah. from what the sense that I could make of that <clears throat> yeah. speech, talk about getting it exactly backwards. And this is the problem with the Oscars. This is the greatest moment. This should be the greatest moment of this guy's career. He doesn't deserve an Oscar. He's not a very good director. He doesn't make very good films. He doesn't make very good films. And they give it to him. They give Spike the participation trophy. It should be the greatest moment of his night. And he complains about everything. He complains about the number of days in the month of February. (laughs) He complains about anything he can. This is where they get it exactly flipped. And you know, the other thing about it is he was very bitter that he didn't win best movie. There were all these things about him storming around. He stormed around. He said said every time Somebody drives, somebody I lose. That was because he lost whoever driving Miss Daisy. But but you know, a mature artist knows that awards don't mean anything. I've won awards, and I you know I know, and I, I I love I love them because you can always say, oh, I won an award, and people are impressed. But they don't mean your stuff is good. Right. They do not mean your stuff is good. The, the only guy, the only time I've ever agreed with Woody Allen is that he never would show yeah. up and he never say I'm not going. He would just say I, that's my, the day I have my band plays and so I you know plays the clarinet and he would go off. And I always thought like there's a guy who actually knows about art. He un- mm-hmm. understands because sure it's fun to go if I were invited. I, which is some, somehow Gosnell didn't get invited. I don't know. That's what, so strange. Well, I can't, is I another understand. kingdom going to go? Yeah, was, yeah I could have just overlooked mm-hmm. somehow. But but, but you know. I, like, 
I, I would go because I like to the fun of it and all this stuff. But I would never think to myself, "Oh, they they cut me because now and now my work is less, or it would have been more." If it, you know, it's like screw them. That's right. <laughs> and I will say, by the way, on the Spike temper tantrum, yeah. where he, you know, he he pulled a Kanye. He he's trying to steal this great <laughs> right. moment from a fellow artist. Right. It actually does. I, I hate to leave us on a moment of hope for the Oscars, but the fact that there weren't many blowups, the fact that no host probably was better, and for the best picture, it went to Green Book, which is a standard Oscar-winning yeah. movie. It's kind of a likable film. It's though. kind of a likable yeah. film. It does show that the, the center hasn't totally dissipated. Yeah. There is a little tiny something that that is holding about the Oscars, and uh, the, you know the rest of the awards were a little weak. A uh, best actor going to the guy from Bohemian. Rhapsody, Rami Malek. He is, did a great job. He did a very yeah, good it's job. Not very, it's, a, it's kind it's, of a... It's a whatever yeah, movie. Yeah. It was a weak year for movies. Yeah. Olivia Colman getting it for The Favorite. She is a terrific She's actress. She's a terrific actress. Know, yeah, it was yeah. a great performance. And she let herself look terrible because she's actually kind of an attractive lady, you know. She, right. Yeah. And if, the, I mean, if they could take a year of basically terrible movies yeah. and, uh, you know, come out with some good performances, have a basically fine Oscars, yeah. a little boring, no news is good news. That might be a guide to the future for the film industry. And if they can if they can try to eat, even minimize now the Spike Lee explosions and the Vice nominations, luckily Vice didn't really win very much, it only won hair and makeup. <laughs> yeah, uh, which probably deserved. pretty good, yeah. 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 It, you know, there's, there's just a little bit of hope. I, I'd be curious to see what happens in a year with good movies, but I'm not sure that I can look forward to that anytime soon. You know, I, I was shocked at how bad they were. And, and, and again, it's not the talent. I mean, like I, last night I watched the last one that I was going to watch, which was A Star is Born. Mm -hmm. and, and Bradley Cooper has now legitimately become, he's replaced Denzel Washington yep. as, the, as the best actor who's also a movie star. Yeah. You know, I mean, Denzel <laughs> is still the greatest, but he's older now and he's not, he's not going to be a leading man. Bradley Cooper is a leading man who can, re he's really spectacular. He's quite but a you, good actor. But yeah. you, he really is. But you're watching the movie and it's like, it's nothing. And it's like the, the uh, Judy Garland one was better, you know? Yeah. And, it's like, and, and, and you feel, I feel bad because movies, movies are fun, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I really do believe it represents the, a loss of values, you know, like that they don't know, they can't make a good movie because they don't have the values that underlie good movies, you know? You know, the Roma, the favorite <laughs> yeah. for all of this, win, wins Best Foreign Film with uh, all of these awards. Roma's about nothing. It's a film about yeah. nothing, and it's, a, it's just self-indulgence, basically. Right. And that loss of values, that loss of a sense of purpose, that loss of a sense of narrative, and that total self-indulgence, which is the Oscars in, in 2018, 2019, and probably yeah. 2020, that's the problem. Roma is the problem. It embodies the problem. Yeah. But I don't see, with that total loss of a compass, how Hollywood can come back. I, you know, I, I don't either, and it's, it's funny because you watch Netflix and there are all these, like I, I watched that uh, show You, which was a thriller. Not a great, you know, it's not the greatest show on earth, but at least it was about the modern day. Mm -hmm. At least it was about issues that are plaguing young people now. I don't feel like I'm watching, I, I feel like I'm watching a bunch of people my age, which is not true. There, a lot of the people making the films are younger than me, but I feel like I, I've seen these movies already. We've dealt with these problems. I live this stuff. You know, show me the new world. Show me the world as it is today, which is what I think the arts should be about to some degree. And it's not like you can't make historical films. I thought the most contemporary film was The Favorite. Because right, it was. It, yeah. You know, because it dealt with a world in which men had been kind of ex excised, so there were no men in, in it. And it dealt with the questions of power, because there are mm -hmm. two power-hungry women, one of whom actually loves her country, and the other one of whom doesn't. And it's a difference about, like, how you use power and what you use it for, and the patriotism of one and the kind of just self-aggrandizement. Uh, and in, in that picture... 
there's the only great movie scene of the year, which is that dance The dancing it's, scene. It's an amazing The dancing scene, scene is a brilliant scene. It's a brilliant scene, and it says something. It basically says the world you are watching now, this 18th century world, is today. Yes. Because what they do is they start with an 18th century dance, <laughs> and it morphs into a modern breakdance, which is hilarious. You know, had me in stitches, first of all. And, and second of all, actually says something important. You know, so. so what are you talking about in your show? Today we'll be talking oh. about how despite a year of flops at the movies yeah. and in politics, somehow they keep giving awards to the narrative. But the people aren't buying it. The audience isn't buying it. It's true from Roma all the way to Andy McCabe. And we'll see every one of those narratives butt, butt up against reality. It's, it's really, it really is true. Reality has a voice. As I've always said, <laughs> reality gets a vote, you know. <laughs> so, all right, now we'll see you later on Daily Wire backstage. That's right. I'll see Oscars. you for a, a scotch or seven or <laughs> ten and a couple Yeah, and, uh, and you get to wear a tuxedo, which I, I, even I get to wear a tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. So you look better in a tuxedo. Stop I think. it. Come on, you're going to make me blush. Get out of here. <laughs> See you later. Right. So, you know, speaking of all this as a final as a final reflection, w- one of the things that you've noticed is that I think is that leftism guts the arts. It guts the arts because it will not let the arts be the arts. The arts speak for themselves. The arts speak about life, and life basically dictates what the arts say. When you have an ideology and you stuff the ideology into the arts, the art dies. It simply cannot do what it wants to do. It's like putting a 10-ton rider on a horse and saying, giddy up, it won't go because it's carrying this ideology, and all art wants to carry is life. All All art wants to carry is reality. Leftism also destroys humor, and one of the things that really got me over the weekend was because this Jussie Smollett thing was such a disaster for the left, even the left started to make fun of it, and suddenly there was humor on the left again, which was like a welcome. I was happy to see it. It wasn't all on the left. My favorite was Charles Barkley, who's not really on the left. He's kind of just a loud mouth, and he says whatever he wants to say. But he was on, what is the show, uh, the uh, halftime, TNT halftime report, and he's on with Shaq, and he starts going off on Jesse Smollett, and they try to cut away from him, and the poor white guy is trying to get out of it, and Shaq just loses it. It was a great moment. What's the most ridiculous one over there that's still living that you would say has no chance of happening? Um, two, two, two black guys beating the black guy up. And having uh, a black guy. What kind of hats they had on Chuck? Maggots. I think that's probably, I think that's probably it. Okay. okay. Paying with cash. Chuckster. You pay with Chuckster. cash or you write him a check, Chuck. <laughs> Never break. Hey, America. America. Chuckster. How? <laughs> America. Let me just tell you something. What's that? Uh, do not commit crimes with checks. <laughs> Come on, man. You cannot, if you're going to break the law, do not write a check. Because you're writing a check that what? Uh, you're behind can't cash. <laughs> Yo, man, you cannot you cash up. <laughs> hey, get cash, man. <laughs> I never used an ATM. Now, you can only, I heard you can only get $200 out of Charles, it. Charles, stop literally. Now, <laughs> You're going to make a lot of stuff to the ATM. <laughs> Jesse, you wasted all that damn time and money. You, you know what you should have did? What's that? Just went up in Liam Neeson's neighborhood. You could have solved all your damn problems. That's a great line. Just what he should have done is go to Liam Neeson's neighborhood and he would have beaten him up for free. Then The Daily Show actually did Jesse Smollett the movie. I need to find a MAGA Trump supporter and get him to beat me up in the streets. And then... I'll make more money. But you see, where would you find Trump supporters willing to participate in this risky scheme? <laughs> I'm looking at him right now. <laughs> I'm talking about you guys. 
And so the plot was hatched. I have a hat and a noose so that everyone knows I am a racist. Good. Good job, good job. You got and it. I brought the bleach. Bleach? Why? <laughs> I am so racist that I want to turn black people white. Critics are calling it the performance of the year. Mmm, I love eating sandwiches at 2 a.m. Hey, aren't you that actor that is underpaid on the show Empire, who is very famous? And gay. Yes, I am. This is Marco Country. Ah. Jesse's lie. <laughs> the only the gay Tupac. <laughs> the only thing they got wrong is he drops the sandwich. In real life, he never let go of the sandwich. And people said, why didn't he let go of the sandwich? I thought, this is a Subway. Those things are good. You, know, you don't just drop a Subway sandwich while you're faking a crime. But, you know, I, it was just, it was heartening. It was heartening to see the left laugh at itself a little bit. A, because if you're not laughing at yourself, you're not laughing. I mean, that's the first thing. If you're not laughing at yourself, you're not really laughing. You're just uh, punching at people. And, and B, because, it, you know... The past is over. The past is past. It really, you know, as, as I wrote once in a, in a novel, somebody said, if the past isn't past, what is? The past is past. And when they start to see how silly it is to be stuck in this stuff, when they start to laugh at themselves a little bit, maybe we can start talking again. Because they've, they've set up this narrative where, oh, they care about the poor and we don't care about the poor. Oh, they care about black people and we don't care. That's not what the, the argument is. The argument is about the uses of government. The argument about is, is about who should take care of the poor. The argument is about how you get rid of racism or at least mitigate racism and what kind of racism you can mitigate. Those are the conversations we could be having if only, if only they would move into the future and stop trying to reimpose these ideas that have been debunked since 1932. All right, that's it for me, but I will be back on Daily Wire backstage and I'll be back tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. In a year defined by flops, from Roma to Jussie Smollett, from Vice to Russian collusion, the Academy still gives out its top prize to the leftist narrative. We will analyze. Check it out at dailywire.com.